I don't, I don't know if we've met. So why don't you start and tell me a little bit about yourself? Um, no, we haven't met uh, online, except online. Okay. Uh, so I'm from uh, Northwest Philadelphia. Okay. Um, my name's Matt Kilbride. Okay. Um, well, grew well, up. Congratulations to the Eagles. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm glad Freddie is supporting the Eagles. <laughs> um. Uh, so I was the youngest of five um, Irish, Polish, Catholic family. Um, we were very uh, tight knit in our parish growing up. Um, like all, we all went to the parish school. We were altar boys. My sisters were in the choir. Uh, my mom was a teacher at the school. Uh, my dad was the basketball coach. So it was a very um, Catholic upbringing. Oh yeah. Like all my best friends went to the school. Um, but so I was born in 1982. Uh, at that time in Philadelphia, there were like neighborhoods in Philadelphia where the neighborhood and the parish were more or less the same thing. Yeah. Um, where we lived, that was not true. So our parish, it was kind of a vibrant parish. It was tight knit, but it was small. And uh, it was in a neighborhood, um, neighborhoods called Mount Airy, uh, which was famous as the neighborhood in Philadelphia where... Um, racial integration kind of just took place uh -huh, without yeah. any hiccups. So, um, you know, John McWhorter. Yeah. Yeah. He grew up in my neighborhood. Really? And, yeah. 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 So Fascinating. He'll, he'll, he'll talk about it. Him and my oldest brother would have been about the same age. Huh? Um, yeah. So it was Catholic parish, but in a very diverse kind of egalitarian neighborhood. So, um, a lot of African-Americans in the neighborhood. A lot of Jews lived in that section of Philadelphia. Um, and like me and all my friends' parents, they were very um, liberal. As some people might object to me using it that way. But there was nothing like uh, Benedict option-ish about it. You know, like if it, you know, they wanted to live in that sort of place. Yeah, yeah. So like when you went and played soccer and baseball and it was a very mixed team, right? Our parents were extremely happy about that. So um, it, it was a... It was a good place to grow up because, you know, on the one hand, you had that tight community, but in a much more diverse setting. Yep. Um, yep. And the thing is, in Philadelphia at that time, that was not uh, normal. Because you looked at the, all the neighborhoods around us, yeah. which were quite segregated. Um, so that was, that was a, a lucky thing for me. Um, it, it's, it's so... <laughs> Philadelphia has a reputation for being anything but its namesake in some ways. <laughs> the city of brotherly love? Yes. I mean, uh, the sports teams that go into here, I mean, it's just, a, I mean, Eagles, Eagles games. I mean, it's just, it's just known as sort of a hotbed of antagonism. <laughs> right. Santa, Santa got pelted by snowballs. Yes. Um, and then I, I would tell somebody, if you're going to go to an Eagles game, as an away team fan, don't wear the jersey. <laughs> it's just it's just common sense. Don't wear the jersey. Just yep, be smart. Yep. Um, but you know, they mean well. <laughs> it's tough love. Uh yeah. But um, Philadelphia has a bad reputation, but I think it's a fantastic city. Um, there's areas you should definitely avoid, but I think, yeah, Philadelphia, a lot of history. I like Philadelphia. It's amazing. It wasn't the capital of the country. I mean, it well, was, it was, it was for, tremendous. It was for a while. It was a tremendously important city in the colonial period. Right. I think it was too far north at the time, right? 
Yeah, yeah. Like DC was at the, they yep. wanted to please the Virginians. Yep, yeah. So yep. Philadelphia and New York were out. They had to move yep. down to make yep. the Virginians happy. Yep. But I'm sorry, I derailed you. I, sh I should keep my mouth shut. Oh, uh, that's okay. I'm I'm very open to derailing. Um, so anyway, that was my uh, my childhood. Um, I went to the Philadelphia Jesuit High School, um, and then I studied English Lit at Penn State. Um, and then I lived in Wisconsin for a couple years after university. And then um, in 2007, I moved to Korea, um, which is where I live now. Uh, so I met my wife here. Um, I went to grad school back in the States and then came back. Uh, we got married. Uh, we had our now three kids. Um, so two sons and a daughter. Uh, my first son. What, um, what, what brought you to Korea? In the first place? Yes. So I was working in Wisconsin mm -hmm. at a software company. And for a, you know, a recent graduate, it was a good job. But I was just bored. I, I, my, my heart wasn't in it. I, uh, I was kind of undisciplined at the time. Um, so I wanted to travel. Um, I did my study abroad in Ireland, which always, I loved it. But it always felt like it wasn't the real experience. Hmm. You know, because everybody spoke English. Like, yeah. It wasn't a challenge. Yeah. I was like, all right, I want to go somewhere different. Um, and Korea, you know, the pay was decent. Um, it was a different society. So I went there to teach English. Oh, okay. And, um, so I taught English for two years. And at that point, I would have come back to the States. But I had met my wife. So then I was, uh, now I'm tied to the place. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we got married, three kids. Uh, my first son, uh, he was born with a cyst uh, attaching his esophagus and his trachea. Oh, my. So he had surgery when he's five days old. Ugh. And um, he's also born with one lung. Oh, my. So he has a, a rare heart condition called scimitar syndrome. Like, it's just things aren't connected properly. Yeah. So uh, when he was very young, you know, kids get sick, right? Yeah. Yeah runny noses they always for do him, for him it would like elevate right it would uh get much worse very quickly yeah well, uh, he had some ambulance rides several ambulance rides to the hospital um and then between 18 and 24 months i started to notice his development was like tapering off oh and wow. eventually he was uh, diagnosed with autism and it's fairly it's fairly severe oh, um so my. he has he has a very difficult time with language, um, kind of behavioral and emotional issues. So, uh, yeah, that, that was, that was definitely life changing. Yes. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So I got my first, my, my second son and my daughter, they, they're fine. I mean, in, yeah. in that sense. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Having, having an autistic child is, uh, it's definitely a game changer. We had a severely autistic child in our church when i first got here and yeah it, it you know and i still know the parents um it's it's life-changing it, it really is especially i mean he also he he doesn't really speak um yeah it's 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 a tremendous challenge yeah and, and well autistic kids are all different yeah um so they but when you're the parent of an autistic child, you're hyper aware of other autistic kids. Yeah. Because a lot of times they just, they look normal. You know what I mean? 
Yep. Yep. You actually have to observe what they're doing. Yep. And then for most people, you would catch on quickly, but if you have an autistic child yourself, it's like, you know, you can recognize it really quickly. Yeah. And there, there's more of them than I would have thought before we had our son. Um, so yeah, that was a big one. Um, so yeah, three kids. Um my church life. Uh so after I finished high school, I never so I was Catholic. Um I never thought about going to mass at university. Um, I was happy to go with my parents. I didn't have any uh, negativity about it, but uh, it, I don't know. It just wasn't on my radar. Um, but my wife, she, when I met her, was a very devout evangelical Christian. Hmm. Um, now that means, so she's Korean. Yeah. That means slightly different things here. There's yeah. a lot of overlap between what American evangelical and Korean evangelical, but there are important differences. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't know, a lot of the political baggage that I would associate with kind of American evangelicalism, it's in Korea is just different. Um, so there's a lot of cultural differences there. Um, I, I work with a fair number of Korean churches. Yeah, I, I was curious about that because like, do you have any sense of how much the Korean American community and the Korean community is, do you think are there any important differences that you've been able to pick up on? Well, there's a huge there's a huge issue in terms of how Koreans Americanize in their time here. So those who were those over who came to America as adults, yeah, those who came to America at whatever level of development makes a big difference. Those who were born in America. It's uh, what language the church is worshiping in. Right. It's it's a it's a big deal. About a tenth of the Christian Reformed Church is Korean, and so a lot of them are immigrants, and they 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 work in English or they work in Korean. Their English skills vary. Um, okay. It's a it's a it's a very big deal. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um. Yeah. So anyway. Um. She wanted me to go to church. Um, and she was so in Korea, the Catholic Protestant divide is much bigger huh. than in America. Interesting. So, like, um, they would say there's Christians and Catholics, right? Right, right. And I, I and I, my like, so I teach um English, university English, and I'll have students, they'll say, Oh, I'm a Catholic, he's a Christian. I'm right. like, no, you're both Christians. I, I just trying to push their buttons a little bit, but you're both Christians. He's a Catholic. You're a Protestant. But I don't, that doesn't really click with them. No, same in but, Latin uh, America. There's Catholics and Christians. Although, yeah. of course, Latin America, given the the whole culture was Catholic, I mean, it's it's very different yeah, from yeah. Korea. Yeah, again. yeah. Um, but anyway, my wife she she didn't she wasn't going to go to a Catholic church. That was off the table. Mm-hmm. So um, we started going to um, the largest international church in our city, uh, Busan. And um, it's uh, the international ministry of uh, Busan's biggest megachurch. Um, so, yeah, it, it's an interest. It's technically uh, Presbyterian, but really in culture, it's like an evangelical church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went into the 
you know, evangelical church with very, um, very hesitantly. I had a lot of misgivings about it. Um, and then there were certain things like, you know, the praise, like the hand up, yep, that yep, kind of thing. Yep, that, yep. that was the kind of like, oh, no, they're doing all that stuff that I saw on TV. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, But, you know, I got accustomed to it pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, we m- made some good friends in the church pretty quickly. There were a lot of uh, other young couples at the time. Yeah. And then we got a very kind of tight knit group. So um, I, I, I settled into church life pretty quickly. I was quite happy. Um, and I had especially one friend, he was an English guy, um, who was very devout, he, um, very strong faith. And we were in the same Bible study. And kind of through his influence and his kind of uh, motivation, I got very deep into the Bible for a few years. Um, so I did a lot of studying. Um, and so growing up Catholic, I think when Cal Zeldin was on the channel, he said, I, I didn't know anything. You know, and I, I understood what he meant, but I don't think it was quite, it, for me at any way, it wasn't quite true. Because when you, in the evangelical church, in our Bible study, everything was in reference to the Bible. Right. Right. Whereas when you were growing up Catholic, I mean, you learned all sorts of things from the Bible, but I just wouldn't have been able to tell you like um, chapter and verse. Yeah. Right. I could tell you the story, but is that in John or Luke? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I, I know the story. Right. Yeah. Um, so there was much less, um, what do you want to say? Contextualization. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so my understanding of the Bible as the Bible in the context of the Bible itself increased dramatically. Um, I watched a whole lot of uh, N.T. Wright during those years. Um, I really, I'm a big N.T. Wright fan. He, um, in in particular, helped me kind of view the Bible from start to finish. You know, like it's one large scroll and you unroll it and see, you know, from Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation, how the whole thing connects. Yep. So, um, I don't know. Th- those were very fruitful couple years in terms of my faith. Mm. Um. So that was, that was very good. Um, one weakness of an international church, though, is that uh, the congregation is very fluid. Yes. So we had a very tight-knit group, yep. um, but the majority of them have dispersed. Yep. We've gone yep. here, there, and everywhere. And, you know, uh, like we had a, a community group, a Bible study. Mm-hmm. It was really good. And it went through a few permutations, like you lost a new member, got a new member, and it yep. stayed strong. But then COVID came along. Oh. And uh, it went online. And then a bunch of people dropped out. Yeah. And then uh, the two guys that were kind of in charge, because they left Korea now. So then the whole thing kind of um, fizzled out. Yeah. And, and it's never really picked up again. Yeah. Um. And then the other thing is, um, so my son's autistic. Uh, when he was young, it was it was okay, but now he's uh, eight years old. Yeah, it's harder and harder to find uh, a place for him in the church. Yeah, because um, you know there's the children's ministry. Yeah, but uh, you know he, he he'll disrupt that, and the other kids will look at him and they say, "Well, he's standing up. Why can't I stand up?" Yep. 
you know, or if he's in the main congregation and he's noisy, you know, because yeah, you had a 45 minute sermon. Yeah. You are just listening for 45 yeah. minutes. Um, so I don't know. It, it's it's been a it's been a struggle. Um, and my wife is taking our our daughter. She's she's only one and a half, but she's taking her to a Korean church um, because she really likes the program that they have there. So I don't know. Uh, mm. a bit of a, I don't know. Pro- That's hard. Crossroads is not the right word. Yeah. Uh, no. Kind of a, a, peter, a petering out a bit. So um, I don't know. At the moment, that's where I, where I am. Yeah, we had, you know, we had. So Jacob was the name of the little boy who, who is autistic. He's a grown man now, and um, but they there were volunteers that used to just someone would just volunteer for Jacob duty that day, and you know they just watch him. We have a decent amount of land here, and so you know he would be out and playing on the swing just. You just need one-on-one childcare so that his parents could go to church. But then, of course, as he got older, these things get more difficult. And they also have have another child. And the the challenge then to figure out, okay, how how do we help raise these other kids so that my first child's disability doesn't inordinately uh, limit the opportunities that the other children have so it's 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 a it's a challenge all the way through and uh, yeah. uh, and and depending on you know the child's behavior jacob was i mean he was very disruptive he didn't have any language skills so he was tremendously frustrated and of course when he was six or seven that's one thing but when he's 10 or 12 and then after he hits puberty too i mean Right now he's about six four, two hundred fifty pounds. Um, oh wow! Okay. And so he's, you know, he lives full time in a in a home that's specifically designed for others in that situation. So it's 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 a big deal. How yeah. how did you how did you find this channel? And um, um, uh, I, I actually thought about this, and I could probably draw a line. Um. So I was in a, a friend of mine was a Christian apologist and he had a Facebook kind of um, discussion forum uh-huh. that I used to be on. And people always used to talk about Marx and Marxism. Oh, okay. It, it would come up a lot. Yeah. And I always got the sense that these people didn't actually know what they were talking about. <laughs> like, they, like uh, these people read Das Kapital. I think they're just throwing this word around. Yeah. So uh, I went to YouTube which was new to kind of new to me at the time. And I watched a lecture series on Marx. Um, it's by a guy named Raymond Goose at Cambridge. Um, it's worthwhile if anybody wants to check it out. So I watched that. And then uh, he did another lecture series on Nietzsche, which was really good. That got me to um, the BBC program In Our Time. You ever heard of it? That's no. good too. Um, In Our Time via the YouTube algorithm got me to your buddy, um, Sam Harris. Uh, <laughs> uh, Sam Harris got me to Jonathan Haidt. Jonathan Haidt got me to Jordan Peterson. And then Jordan Peterson got me to you. <laughs> amongst many other people. Um, and by word of thanks, you got me to Tom Holland. And Tom Holland got me to the rest is history, which I absolutely love. I love so, that podcast. I, I owe you a, a debt of gratitude for that because I could listen to those two all day long. Oh, me too. Me too. I, I so enjoy that podcast. Um, yeah. Wow. And so you've, so, so you found us and you sort of stayed. Well, why what's, what's of interest here and what, 
what do you like um what's um well i i think what separates you from uh other because you you weren't like the only guy on youtube i'm listening to right right there was rebel wisdom there was right. um, early on the dave rubin show yeah uh, the weinsteins etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah, yeah um, the whole idw phase yeah the idw I, I, I like glenn lowry and john mcwhorter a lot yeah. um michael malice kind of have a love-hate relationship with yeah. um but anyway, the difference with you is that there was um, kind of a, a sense of community. Okay. Um, like I tried the Discord. The Discord wasn't quite for me. Yeah. Um, so I was there for a bit. But, um, you know, even in the comments section, you see like the same yeah, people, too. right? <laughs> so it, you, you kind of get a sense of who's listening, even though you've never met them. Yep. Um, so there's a, a kind of relatableness to it. You know what I mean? Yes. Because... Um, I mean, your status has grown over the years. I've been I've been listening to years for now, um, but there's still like you're one of us kind of feeling. Oh, good, good. Which you I've... don't, which, which you don't have with, you know, Sam Harris, for instance. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, John Verveke, he's he's an interesting one because he's on his like sofa, and he's he's also got kind of a openness, kind of on our level feel. Yeah. Not, not, not in terms of a. His uh, sophistication, just like his attitude and how he presents himself. Yeah, yeah. So that that's definitely appealing. Good. Yeah. Good. Well, that um, and that's my goal. That's in fact, I, I we can watch people on YouTube. We can watch people on YouTube, but I think we want to play along. We want to be involved. We want to. Uh, it's it's just it's yeah. just much more engaging. Yeah. Well, one frustrating thing though is um. Because I have three young kids, so it, it's hard to uh, carve out time in the day to like really engage. Whereas yep. you know you can listen while you're washing the dishes and while you're driving. Yeah. Uh, you can type a comment here and there. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's more difficult to carve out an hour to sit down and have a a conversation. So I don't know. It, it's I'm limited in how much I can actually join this little corner of the internet yeah. and that's um, true of many many that's true of most of my audience okay there are there are some and you know they have their own youtube channels there are some who by virtue of they might be single um they might not be working right now they can sort of play at a different level or they have a yeah. job that's super flexible but no most people are like you and that They've got kids, they've got jobs, they've got responsibilities. They can, you know, that's part of the reason Discord, Discord gets overwhelming very quickly and you just can't, it, it would just take too many hours. So, yeah, I mean, I'm distracted enough and I felt <laughs> like I'm distracted by many things. Discord just felt like one more, it, not, not because it wasn't good. It just felt like one more distraction. Like I had to check in. Exactly. Like I'm checking in on Twitter. And I'm checking yep. in on Discord. I got to check the hockey scores, right? It's like, ah, all right, it's too much yep. distraction. I don't need to keep adding to it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. That's true. Well, um, well, I can I can tell. I mean, you're, you're obvious someone who's pretty high in openness. And I mean, you you went out of the country. You, I mean, you, you're so, you like, you like variety. You like novelty. You like new things. Yeah, definitely. To, to you know otherwise your life probably wouldn't have 
have the shape. So what are you what are you listening to now or what's what's interesting to you now? What what are some of the things that you think sort of bubble to the top in terms of these are things to pay attention to? These are these are something we should be thinking about or talking about. Um uh, there's a lot of them. One thing that you talk about regularly that catches my interest is um the whole winsome debate. Yeah. But the thing is you all tend to talk about it in terms of like the Christian like the, the church. Yep. Right. So there's um the winsome church and then what, yep. what, what, what is the opposite adjective? More the antithesis, you know, the antithesis. clear. Let's be, I mean, I let Esther and, and Tripp did a conversation with Sam a little while ago. And I, I think, I think Esther and Tripp get frustrated with me because they, they want clarity. They, they want Christians to say, this is what it is and to draw a line. And right. If you don't like enough. it. That's your problem. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, but I also think it's not limited to the church. No. Right. Because in the culture war as well, you see kind of the um, the the winsome approach versus the antithesis approach. Yes. So like Lex Friedman, for instance. Yep. I think is the embodiment of the winsome approach. Yes. Right. He's like all positive all the time. Yep. Um, and that has Kanye like, on his show. <laughs> right. And, he, you know, trying to gently pull him back from the edge. Yeah. Um, so but then on the other hand, you know, Lex Friedman's friend with Michael Malice, who's like kind of this famous Internet troll. Yep. He's kind of the embodiment of antithesis. Yep. Um, but what I find interesting is there's that, that's kind of a clear black and white, you know, here and there. But then there's other people that kind of um, blur the lines. And I, I think they're the most interesting kind of. So I'm glad Lex Friedman. I like Lex Friedman a lot. I'm glad he's doing what he's doing. Um, antithesis. It's not really my style. I kind of get it. But so, for instance, um, he's not with us anymore. But what? Well, he's not dead. But David Fuller, Rebel yes. Wisdom. Yeah. Like, because he, if you look at him, when he's with John Verveke, um, or Jonathan Peugeot, like, it's very much kind of a winsome, right? Yeah. A winsome approach. When he's yeah. talking to Dave Rubin, well, if you told Dave Rubin that David Fuller's winsome, he wouldn't know what you're talking about. Because, <laughs> you know... With him, it was like, all right, Dave, you gotta draw the line. Um, so that might, that might have cost that might have cost David Fuller his relationship with Jordan Peterson, frankly. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Um, but I, I like that because it, he's unpredictable, mm -hmm. and you know, issue by issue, individual by individual, you you can select. So I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on like? Is it an either or, or how do you balance? I I think I think you're very right in that many of the most antithetical can be selectively winsome in certain places, usually often because of their relational economy. And even the most winsome, there will be there will be uh, sensitive triggering areas that even the most winsome can get deeply antithetical quickly. And I, I think with some people, you know, some people like me, I'm high in openness. I think that tends to lean me towards winsome because I'm very curious and I kind of want to know. 
and that that sort of feels good in me and i think attacking somebody what's that if if you're attacking somebody they're not going to want to tell you their story yeah exactly and and i think those who are higher in negative emotion or neuroticism i think they tend to be more antithetical because the world is a dangerous place and the world is a danger you live in you live in south korea that's a very, you know, the world is a very dangerous place on the Korean peninsula. South Korea is, well, the peninsula may be dangerous. South Korea is incredibly safe. Um, it's one of the things I like about it. Compared to Philadelphia, very yep, safe. Yep, yep. No, I, yeah. I believe that. But yeah. but the, so there's definitely a temperamental difference between team winsome and team antithesis. Yeah. But there's always going to be overlap. And David Fuller a lot of it depends on sort of what your agenda is. I mean, if you if you have a fairly rigid religious formation, and especially if you're higher in neuroticism, you're probably going to defend that formation pretty, pretty, um, pretty intensely. Right, and that's going to make Winsome feel like uh, betrayal, watering down, slippery slope. Um, so it's, so it's very interesting, but no, you're very, you're very right that it goes, it goes far beyond this. I mean, in many ways, part of what, part of what Donald Trump rose to the presidency on was the frustration with many in the Republican party that saw Republicans sort of out there naming a hard line, but when they get into office, they would compromise. Now, Okay, part of the reality, though, is if you want to get anything done in the American political system, you're, the, the system is set up in such a way that unless you have just total power, like let's say Democrats have in the state of California, uh, you're going to have to compromise. And if you want to achieve any of your goals, and so it's it's all of these deeply um, entrenched uh, sort of temperamental and structural things that lead I mean, like, you know, the Republicans had needed how many ballots to get the Speaker of the House in this time? So you've you've got some you've got some people who are very low in agreeableness yeah. who are in there and they're going to be anything but winsome. And and in some ways, it's a very it can be a very potent relational and negotiating tactic to be a real dogged hard liner. You might get more of what you want or you might simply get ostracized and marginalized because people have come to the conclusion that there's nothing to be gained talking to you. (laughs) So it's all of these dynamics that, that go on and, and you see it in the church all the time. There are some churches that are tremendously dark and you see it within the, you see it within the Roman Catholic church, of course. Um, You've got elements of the Roman Catholic church that are angry and frustrated and, and very, you know, tremendously rigid and Catholic. You've got other areas of the Roman Catholic Church that have people like Richard Rohr in it. And, you know, how many other Catholics out there? So, yeah. Um, but I'm curious. So if you apply it to um, what John Bervakey's doing, John Bervakey's work, because you said, you know, people are temperamentally predisposed to Team Winsome or Team Antithetical. Yep. Right? And that makes sense. You know, yep. we all have our personalities. But John, when you look at what he's doing, there it's sort of like a training, right? Yes. Um, you're kind of the examined life. You're examining yourself. 
And if you're examining yourself, then it opens the possibility to, you know, find what needs fixing. Yes. Right. Um, so therefore, in, you know, he, he's responding to the meaning crisis. He's teaching people in ecology of practices. Yep. Do you think if, if we then apply that winsome, antithetical or blurred line distinction, or is there some third way? What is John pushing us? What, what, is, what is he training us for in those terms? Do you know, do you know what I mean? Yes. Well, like, is he that's... training us for Team Winsome? Because it doesn't quite seem like that. He's definitely no. not training us for Team Antithetical. But it, it has to apply on some level. If you know yeah. I mean. John, it's interesting how John in the last couple of years has, has really sort of focused on Neoplatonism. I mean, if you listen to him five years ago and you listen to him now – the, the word count for Neoplatonism has gone like this. Okay. And so he's clearly been on his own journey too in terms of, of, of looking for a worldview that will be sufficiently, sufficiently pluralistic and yet sufficiently... The, part, the difficulty with pluralism is that it can just sort of just become undone now suddenly there's everything and anything and and a lot of what one way to understand the peterson verveke peugeot nexus is that they are they are attempting to find structures beneath all of the diversity of worldviews that um that transcend them and this again this this has been a major part of the project since the the wars of the Reformation. I mean, in many ways, the Enlightenment was an attempt to let's get beyond um, the sort of entrenched positions of the Catholics and the Protestants, and then the many positions of the Protestants, and yeah. and get into a bigger a bigger system. And so John is is very much trying to do that, and he's he's trying to both use ancient wisdom and contemporary science, and he. You know, his temperament is interesting because he's he's mostly winsome, but you know, if you if you're if you watch him carefully enough, you'll notice he does have some hard edges and some hard lines. They yeah. come out in awakening from the meaning crisis now and then, you know, some things that he's passionate about. And everyone you cannot have a structure without having your own dogmas. I mean, dogma is inevitable. Otherwise, right. you don't have identity. So he's, it, it's very interesting. Like in the, um, let's see, what, what conversation was it? I think it was the last conversation I had with, was it the last conversation I had with him about the intro to his after Socrates, where we sort of wandered into, into a political realm and he gave a pretty hard, you know, he gave, he, he's definitely got some very clear political and, He's got some very clear positions out there. He doesn't talk about them much. Yeah. So, so there's there's certainly winsome and antithesis, and there's also process versus dogma. Let's say. Okay. And and he's very heavy process. Okay. Whereas some people are very heavy dogma. Right. Procedural versus propositional. Exactly. Right. Okay. 
Okay. Cause I, yeah. So I'm interested in that. What, one of my favorite videos that you've ever done is your um, sermon on uh, Jesus entering Jerusalem. Oh, okay. You know, when he's passing Jericho. Yeah. Yeah. And um, what's the guy's name in the tree? Um, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. Yeah. I mean, again, I think that story, you can apply that winsome antithetical um, filter to it. And Jesus, like, I don't want to compare David Fuller to Jesus, but Jesus, like David Fuller, you know, he, he blurs the lines. Um, and because me, I, I, why I think this is all interesting is because, you know, because you like to participate in all this stuff. And uh, I struggle with um, how to behave yourself in the most optimal way, right? Because Team Winsome seems like, well, you want to be a nice guy. But, uh, you know, especially on Twitter, you know, people get snarky and um, you end up, you know, expressing yourself in a way that, you know, 10 minutes later you regret and you wouldn't have done in person. So I, I don't know. That's one of the reason I think it's interesting is because I think it also, at the end of the day, has to apply to our own behavior in the conversation, in the culture war, in whatever you want to talk about um, and how that guides us. So I don't know. It takes a fair amount of uh, it takes a fair amount of rigor to maintain a winsome posture. But if it's fake, I think it's not valuable. Well, the, the question like the, is, what is what do you mean by fake? Because sometimes authenticity means that which erupts unreflexively, which is um, is also sort of the same as um, it can be the same as as immature, because one does want to cultivate a certain posture, but the process of cultivation depending on one's definition of authenticity leads people to say, well, that if you had to cultivate it, it's not authentic. So th th that word authenticity really is difficult in our context because there are actually some real subtle um, contenders for its definition right now. Right. And there's also the problem of perception because, yeah. so for instance, I know people who don't like Tim Keller. Right. Um, they think he's kind of plastic. He's a little wishy-washy. Um, I don't think that. I quite like Tim Keller. Yeah. But when they see him, they see um, a lack of authenticity. Right. Right. A sort of practiced, media-friendly, um, made-for-consumption niceness. Yep. Right. Whereas they want, um, you know, that guy that's gonna give you the gospel, and whether you like it or not, here it is. Right. You know. So. Turn or burn, baby. <laughs> you know, is it is it a you know authenticity? Can we really say you know? I, I think he's authentic. They say he's not. Is it just opinion or, you know? So, well, when I'm on Twitter, and I I dealt with this this morning because every you no know, some tweets go further than others, and when I'm on Twitter, I will, um, I I I try to have a rule no back and forth beyond two tweets and sometimes no back and forth at all because now would when i see something that let's say someone responds to something that i did 
and I get triggered or reactive. Is it authentic for me to, you know, just kick back? Is that authentic? Or is it more authentic for me to say, now, Vander Clay, <laughs> you know where this goes. You've yeah. done this enough. You, you, you might feel like responding to this person right now in the way that sort of grabbed your consciousness might be satisfying and or productive, but you know that three or four or five back and forths into this, it's neither, it's likely neither going to be satisfying nor productive. And at the end of that interchange, you're going to want to close the lid on your computer and put it away because, ah, oh, I hate Twitter. And right. so, so what is authentic in that situation? Yeah, that's a good point. Like, cause there is that idea of authenticity as your instinct. Right. Exactly. What is instinctual is authentic. Right. But like you mentioned Donald Trump, you know, and th that's kind of a lot of his appeal. Yes. He'll get up on stage. He has no script really. Right. And he's just saying what comes out of his mouth. Yep. Right? That's instinctual. That's authentic. Yep. Whereas, you know, people like, uh, you know, who, who aren't as fond of him would say the man has no, um, man has no filter. Right. Right. Or no wisdom. <laughs> right. There's nothing authentic about that. So, yeah. So we we have this very we we don't we like to use the word authentic and authentic is one of these so buzzwords are holy words and so authentic is one of these holy words in our culture but when I watch people use that word so authentic as instinct or authentic as authoritative you know which yeah. um which is it and people are tremendously unclear on that and they'll tend to flip back and forth usually authentic is that which they agree with and it's like okay well now we've got another word that's nearly spoiled right yeah now that i think about it it's not a particularly useful word no <laughs> I mean, it really it's, isn't it's so contentious that it doesn't really achieve much yeah yeah it's like he's he's being really authentic yeah, Donald Trump is being really authentic. And if you understand it as instinctive, maybe. But I'm not always sure that that's the case too because he, he's he been inordinately, unusually successful in many realms as a salesperson, as a marketer, as right. a popularizer. And you know exactly sometimes when doing. I watch him, I think, this guy's a real expert at some of these things that he's doing. He makes it look completely. Oh, let's see what's what's a better word. He makes it he makes it look easy. He makes it look spontaneous. Makes it look spontaneous. Yeah. And and that and and that um and that gives people a sense of. I mean, so Peterson lately has been talking about the fact that he's been talking about psychopaths, and he talks about the fact that um, psychopaths usually look confident and young women mistake confidence for competence and that's a and he said you know older women <laughs> through much sorrow on their own often figure that out eventually but there's a lot of that in our culture where people mistake confidence for competence right. and so there's a lot going on <laughs> right and i think a lot of that like a lot of words that we use, they have like a double valence. So like to say that someone's brave or to say that someone's foolhardy. Right. Well, they're the same thing, just depending on whether they win. Right. 
Or uh, if you say somebody's like um, confident versus they have braggadocio, yeah. right? It's a uh, confident good, braggadocio bad, but really it's up to the eye of the perceiver. Right. And, and so for, for team, for team winsome, I, I think people, you know, like Tim Keller is trying to play a, he's trying to play an evangelistic game with usually a very intelligent, subtle community. And he is trying to move them along certain lines. Um, and whereas let's say someone who is, quite a bit more antithetical that just wants to look John MacArthur. Okay. So Tim Keller, John MacArthur, uh, you know who John MacArthur is? Uh, yeah, I know. John. MacArthur. Okay. So John MacArthur would be someone who's, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to have, we're not going to have a conversation about masks. Don't wear any masks into church. We're not going to close anything down. And if the state of California tries to stop us, we're going to take them to court. So, yeah. And, and in some ways, you know, John MacArthur won. So good on him. But if you look at that sample, in this case, he won. You can find many other ways and many other people that have lost in other ways by being dogmatic about something. Um, yeah. You know, at the beginning of the automobile, the automotive era, someone might have said electric vehicles are the future. They might have said that in 1912. And yeah. well, by 1930, it was very clear that gasoline vehicles were the future. By right. 2023, it looks more like electric vehicles are the future. So, you know, for, there's a lot that goes into this question. And, you know, was was Augustine winsome or antithetical? Well, it kind of depends on, you know, he's brought in a lot of neoplatonism kind of depends on exactly how you're looking at them so even those categories can sometimes be slippery yeah, yeah. yeah sounds good <laughs> yeah it, it's just uh, yeah it's just something i uh i think about in terms of my own behavior and what other people do so that's why i want to talk about that with you well i think about it a lot too because I, as open as I am and as winsome as I am, I, I don't want to shut the door on the antithetical. Right. Because over time, certain stubborn, low in agreeableness, antithetical communities and positions pay off. They really do. Um, others just lose and are gone. Yeah. Um, at least in certain frameworks. For example, the the people that when television came out decided no TV. Okay. Um, you know, there's some really good things about that. Their kids read a lot of books. Yeah. There were some other things that weren't good about that because maybe their kids having zero experience with certain kinds of media some people got overwhelmed by it. The world is just so large and complex that wisdom is trying is is the whole point of figuring out what what you need to be dogmatic about and what you can be flexible with and when 
it's it's tremendously difficult. Right. And does it improve with age? Would you, would you say you're would you say you're much wiser now as your age than you were 20 years ago, for instance? My data set has grown. Okay. And that's helpful. But also my, as you age, your, your relative amount of potential <laughs> diminishes. I mean, I have, right. you know, my father died at 77, I'm 59. So, you know, my father, my grandfather died at 90. So am I going to die at 77 or at 90? What does that mean for where I should spend my time in this decade, how I should spend the next 10 years of my life? So I, I think I have grown in wisdom, but my ability to engage this world continues to change as a function of my age. I mean, even, even in this world, because I am bald and have a big white beard, even if I cut my beard off, I'm still going to, you know, my hair turned gray a decade ago. Um, it's, it's. I, I'm cast, I, I regularly talk to people who look younger than I am, um, but are older than I am. And does that help me or hurt me? Well, it helps me in some ways and it hurts me in other ways. I mean, the world is just so immensely complex and wisdom is in the moment having to make the best decision that you can and then learning from both your successes and your failures. So the bigger the data set, supposedly the better you'll do, but still no guarantee. Right. Okay. Anyway, well, this, this has been fun. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I enjoyed it. It was good uh, to uh, meet you. Well, face to face. I've got many hours listening to you. So I'm yeah. And I've seen your comments and um, I, I recognized your name and now it's fun because now when I see your name again, my view of you is, you know, it's still just an hour of conversation but it's much higher resolution than just sort of the yeah what i tally up in terms of the low resolution impression of yeah. of the comments and such so right okay Very i will good. i will send this to you and you can um you can decide whether or not this is something that you'd be okay with me sharing because part of it is um i mean part of the reason that the community that there is a sense of community on my channel and that community grows is because, I mean, these conversations sort of up the resolution with people. And now right. suddenly when people see a comment, oh, that's right. He talked to Paul. If, if they remember it, I mean, it actually stacks up very slowly and never as much as you might imagine, but yeah. All right. That well, is part of the intentionality. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much. I, I enjoyed it. Well, this has been delightful. And, uh, God's blessings to you with your with your son. Oh, um, thank you. It's a yeah, it's a it's a big calling. It's a big calling, yeah. but but in my in my experience um even those hard things can produce good fruits of wisdom. So yeah. I pray that for you. Right. All right, thank you. I appreciate it. All right, take care. All right, have a good one. God bless. All right. Yep. Bye-bye.